We are excited to kick off a new sermon series today, so here is Caroline Park to tell you more. Let's welcome Caroline. Thanks, John. Good morning. So before I start talking, there's one thing that you need to know about me, and I'm an introvert. (laughs) And I sometimes wonder how I ended up at this job. But life works in mysterious ways. Happy New Year! So it's already 2019, which is crazy as somebody who grew up in the 70s and 80s that we're so far into the 21st century is kind of startling. I don't know. Uh, like we're almost 20% into the 21st century, right? Am I depressing you guys? Anyway, so it's January, um, and last December, last year, during our Advent series, we um, ended the year exploring different themes, um, like waiting, preparing, trusting, and following. And at our Christmas service, we talked about meeting Jesus, who has come to be among us. Um, and turning toward him and following him. And now as we move uh, past the Advent season into the new year, into the ordinary season, following continues and the journey goes on. But even when we want to follow, the tricky part is figuring out how to follow. What does it even mean to follow and live by faith in our everyday life. Jesus does give us a big clue in the book in the book of Matthew. When he was asked what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses, he answers, "You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment." A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, the greatest commandment. It is interesting um, to notice that Jesus answers with two commandments when he was asked what was the important um, commandment of all. And then he also says that they are equally important. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He seems to say that one or the other alone wouldn't work. They need to go together. And they are the foundation of the whole Torah and the prophets, which is the Old Testament for us. These two commandments are the spirit and the heart of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying this in the New Testament, right? He's saying it in the book of Matthew, which is the New Testament. So the New Testament also affirms these two commandments as the most important, the greatest commandments of all. Both the Old and New Testament, both Hebrew and Christian teachings point to these two commandments as the most important in following God. Love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So after spending a good amount of time thinking about loving God last year, we think it would be good and fun to focus on the second equally important part of the commitment, love your neighbor as yourself in this new year. So our first series of the year, we're calling it Living and Loving Together. It will be about having deeper and richer relationships, having a bigger capacity to love and receive love. We'll not only talk about the relationships, but also try our different tools to connect better and more meaningfully with others. I'm very excited about this. I think it will be great. So today, um, for my portion, Sarah is going to come up later and um, give us some powerful but simple tools to think about in relationships. Um, But before that, I want to talk about one thing I want us to remember throughout the whole series and also whenever we think about loving others, and that is the joy of it all. When we hear the word commandments or the law, we tend to think of it as the obligation, right? A moral duty, something we ought to do to be a good person, to be a good Christian. This is why when we realize we fail to love someone in certain situations, what do we feel? Guilt. We feel guilty. Um, we feel guilty that we didn't do what a good person should do. It's a moral failure. Um, we don't ever think to ourselves, oh, shoot, I missed out on the joy of loving someone. My loss. But perhaps thinking of loving someone, loving others as a law or obligation is keeping us from actually experiencing love that is transformative and full of joy. There is this one story in the Bible of Jacob and Esau that I often go back to whenever I think about the joy of connection. So Jacob and Esau, it's a long story, so I will kind of tell you the story for most of it, and then later we'll look at the passage a little bit. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. According to, I have a great drawing to go with this. (laughs) The story goes that they struggle with each other in their mother's womb. Esau ends up being born first, and Jacob comes out holding onto his twin brother's heel. Um, It is said also that Esau was hairy and Jacob was smooth. So from the very moment of their conception, there is competition and struggle against each other to survive. They were jockeying for space and nutrition in their mother's womb, and it sort of continues um, in their lives. Now, Jacob is a very important figure in the Bible. He is the grandson of Abram and Sarah, who are the patriarch and matriarch of the of, um the nation of Israel. His name is actually later changed to uh, Israel. So it is his descendants that become the nation of um, Israel. Jacob's name becomes Israel, um, according to the stories in the Bible. 
His twelve sons become the twelve tri- tribes of Israel. So he's one of the fathers of our faith, so to speak. And I find it so interesting that the father of our faith, the one who bears the name of God's people, was a twin. I um, think it is a commentary on human condition, the sense of scarcity and the lack that we often live with, the striving that we experience in real life. Jacob struggled against the very person that he could have had the deepest bond with from the very beginning. And the younger of the two he was, he was not entitled to the firstborn birthright. So he grew up with this sense of inferiority and resentment. It is as if the Bible is commenting on our human condition, trapped in the constant fear of, will I have enough? Am I enough? And the fear makes it impossible to see clearly, love deeply, or experience joy in relationships. So Jacob and Issa don't get along growing up. Their parents play favorites, which doesn't help, I'm sure. The father, Isaac, favors Issa. The mother, Rebecca, favors Jacob. Jacob, as the second one, seems to be always scheming to take what belongs to his twin brother. He tries to buy the birthright with a bowl of stew, and then he tricks his old blind father into believing that he is Esau and steals the firstborn blessing. When his brother Esau finds out, he is so angry that he vows to kill Jacob once their father passes away. So Jacob runs away to Haran, his mother's homeland, and lives there for decades. He gets married twice to another pair of warring siblings, Leah and Rachel. It is no surprise that Jacob favors the younger Rachel. Um, The Bible says, though, that God blessed Jacob. So they have many children, his flocks prosper, Jacob becomes a wealthy man. Eventually, he and his family come back home to the land of Canaan, his hometown, and he's still so afraid of his brother. He's afraid that Esau might still be angry and want to kill him. So he sends gifts after gifts ahead of him to his brother. And when they finally meet and face each other, this is what happens. Let me read this uh, from Genesis 33. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. He, Jacob, himself went on, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company, meaning gifts, that I meet, that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor with, with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. 
Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and he took it. So now they, Jacob and Esau, meet as grown men, each with a sense of blessing and abundance from God. They both have flourished financially. Sometimes, sometimes we are left with the impression that Esau wasn't chosen, so he wasn't blessed by God. But that's not what happens in the Bible. He becomes wealthy and powerful himself. He has five sons who become 13 clans of Edom. So he himself becomes a, the father of a people, the Edomites. His lot in life was pretty good. So Jacob is the father of 12 tribes of Israel and Esau, 13 clans of Edom. But, and even Esau himself says in the, in the passage that I have enough. What a difference from the uh, fighting siblings, fighting for uh, more toys and more food. They have grown up and changed a lot. Now Esau feels that I have enough. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob who schemed all throughout his youth to take things from his brother, now says, accept my present from my hand. He says later, God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough, I have everything I want. And how many of us can say that? I have everything I want. Is this a changed man or not? So when both brothers get past the fear that whispers constantly, I don't have enough, I am not enough, it is as if they see each other true for the first time. They finally look past their fears and see a brother. And at that moment, Jacob says, to see your face is like to see the face of God. It's beautiful. In that moment of seeing each other, genuinely connecting, the heaven opens up a little, and they can see the face of God. They experience the joy of love, the joy of connection, the joy that can transform us, that can free us. This is what I believe. When we have a genuine connection with someone, when we love someone as they are, even for a fleeting moment, when we can truly see someone and be seen, a little bit of heaven flows in through that connection into us. The more we experience it, the more we are transformed the more we are saved from the tyranny of the fear that constantly says we're not enough. 
we don't have enough. Love is precisely how the life in its all its fullness that God promises comes into our lives. And that is why it is the greatest and the most important commandment, not because it is the right thing to do, not because it will make us a better person, but because it is how we are saved, how we experience God, how we get to have heaven here and now. So, do we want more heaven in our life this year? Do we want more joy in our life? Do we want to see God more deeply in our life this year? Then this is it. Let's learn to love and receive love, which is equally important, because we all need more practice in this. Let's increase our capacity for connections so more of heaven can flow into us and into those who we love, into those who love and want to connect with. So how do we do that? We'll be talking about that for the next few months, different ways to do it, different ways to think about it. But for today, Sarah is going to come up now and share some simple but powerful tool for connection so we can start practicing right away. I just love this whole topic, and I just feel so energized that instead of it's the right thing to do or it is hard work that will bring me to a better place in life, it's the power of connection and it's joy that frees me and opens up my world. I love that perspective. I so appreciate that. So now we're going to uh, get practical. We're going to move beyond ideas and concepts because sometimes if we leave it there, ideas and concepts can feel intimidating and they can feel overwhelming and we can think about them and always feel like we're not doing it right or enough. So let's, let's get practical and let's put a face to what we're talking about. Let's put five faces to what we're talking about. In a minute, I'm going to give you a few seconds to write down five people in your life where you feel like, you know what? I'd like my relationship with them to be even better. Maybe it's wonderful and I'd like it to be better. Maybe it needs some work and I'd like it to be better. Whatever it is, five people that you already have relationship with and you think, it could be even better. Now, let me get off the stage for this. Now, you may be the kind of person who doesn't write things down. We do a lot of exercises around here, and maybe you like to do them up here. And that's fine. But today, let's make it super practical and just try writing it down. Okay? Because when we think of actual people then we know who we're going to actually practice living and loving with. And it transforms us from this great idea to this practical way to live this out. And practical 
is really powerful. It's how it all begins. So take just a minute and write down the names of five-ish. Maybe you can only think of one. That's okay. Maybe you can think of ten. That's great. But about five people you have a relationship with and you think it could be even better. Now, these could be people at work. They could be kids, nieces, nephews, housemates, family members, your boss, co-workers, peers, just to help you think about it. Okay. So now that we have real live people in mind that we're going to practice on, Think about one person on your list and imagine this scenario. You and this person are in the same room. You're sitting in a comfortable chair and you're looking at Instagram on your phone. Okay? They're in the room too. They're sitting at a table. They're near a window and they are reading a magazine. Got that picture in your mind? Okay. Now, they say, wow, that's interesting. End scene. That's all you need to imagine for right now. This scenario, and specifically the comment, wow, that's interesting, is the building block of developing healthy relationships. The comment, wow, that is bizarre, is the main element of developing relationships called a bid for connection. This is how all relationships grow and develop. When we want to connect with someone, we, be it a coworker, a friend, a child, a partner, we rarely come out and say, Molly, I have some great things to talk about. Can I have a minute? We rarely say, hey, Vanita, I'd like to connect. <laughs> or, Caroline, I'm very excited about something I want to tell you. Can I have your full attention right now? <laughs> we don't do that. We say things like, wow, that's interesting. And then we wait for a response. So a bid is simply an action that tries to get someone's attention and indicates a desire to connect. We make bids all the time. And people are making bids to us all the time. And it's by recognizing them and turning towards them that we supercharge our ability to connect with others. And this isn't just some interesting idea. It's actually been proven scientifically. John Gottman, who's done 40 years of research on what really makes relationships work, has discovered that couples who are in happy relationships, turn towards each other's bids 20 times more than couples 
who are in unhappy relationships. In fact, he's become known as the guy who can predict divorce with 90% accuracy by watching how people respond to each other's bids. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And by the way, this is one of the seven principles on seven principles for making relationships work. If you're in a committed relationship, I highly recommend the workshop that we're doing. And there's a brochure in the back. So anyway, <laughs> I had to put in that, that commercial. Now, bids, though, can be tricky. Because the bids come out in a variety of ways. It isn't usually that direct, can I have your attention, please? Think of the people on your list and think about how they might be bidding to you. Through a comment, a question, a moan, that's a sigh, a stare, or just proximity. They get a little closer to you. So the Gottmans have designed an easy way to think about how people respond to bids. Just like there's different ways that we all make bids, there's three basic ways that we respond to bids. There's what they call turning away, turning against, and turning towards. So let's go back to this scenario where you are sitting looking at Instagram and this person on your list is looking at a magazine and they say, wow, that's bizarre. And instead of saying really or what happened or huh, you continue to check your Instagram feed. Now, maybe your lack of response to their bid wasn't intentional. Maybe you're really looking at Instagram and you heard noise, but you didn't know it was directed at you. That's called turning away. Or, or maybe you did hear what they said, but you thought, I don't really want to get into that right now because I'm so interested in Instagram. That's also called turning away. So whether it's intentional or not, turning away means someone has thrown you a ball and you've just kind of ignored it and you let it fly by. Okay, so let's imagine your friend said, wow, that's bizarre. And we respond by saying, you think everything is bizarre. And you're hoping that this will just stop the conversation because you really want to get back to your Instagram feed. That's called turning against. So they've thrown the ball to you, and you catch it. And you're going to slam it back at them so that they will end the game of catch. That's called turning against. Now, let's imagine this scenario again. They say, wow, that's bizarre. And you say, huh. You know what? That counts. Isn't that good news? Huh? Counts. That means I heard what you said. Now, on a good day, maybe all you're ever going to get is a huh. And that's okay. 
But if you really want to supercharge the relationship, wow, that's interesting. Really? What's so interesting? Now, that is enthusiastically turning towards, I heard you, and I care about what you have to say. Now, we live in a busy world. We have busy lives. And these bids are easy to miss because we're all so busy and overwhelmed and tired and stressed. So what do we do? How do we get better at connecting with the people in our life? We make an effort to notice. It's that basic. According to Gottman's 40 years of research, it really is that straightforward. When someone in your life makes a bid and you notice it, turn towards them. If someone wants to share a moment with you, don't shoot them down. If you've noticed that you've turned away or turned against a bid, don't freak out. Don't beat yourself up. Try to turn towards the next bid. It's that basic. It's something we can all do. And I find that so encouraging. So information about relationships and bids is really fun to learn. But you know what? It's also two-edged. Because we can get this information and we can use it to notice how everyone in our life is screwing up bids. And we start critiquing. And that's human nature. So let's try to move away from that and use this to really feel empowered to respond to and to notice bids and turn toward people in our life that we want to develop relationships with. And when we get to know and understand this bidding process, we become so gracious in our relationships because we realize that if someone doesn't respond to a bid, it, we don't have to take it personally. Maybe they didn't realize our sigh meant we're upset and we'd like our child or friend to ask what's wrong. Or maybe when we said, so what are you doing for lunch? That person really thought you were interested in what you're eating for lunch that day. And we can act more graciously in our relationships. And that frees people to respond to us in our bids. So let's go back to those names on your list. Those five people... And you could think of five people. Woohoo! That's great. So I have a question for you to think about. And it is can you look back and notice bids that people you've written down on your sheet have made to you 
a comment, a question, a sigh, a moan, standing next to you, making eye contact with you. And how did you respond? And from there, take a second to think about how can I turn towards these people more often? Think about that for just a moment, and then I'm going to close us with a prayer. God, thank you that you are bringing our way opportunities for connection all the time. And I pray that you would help us to see them and that you would give us the energy and capacity to turn towards. God, I pray that through the coming weeks as we go through this season, that this idea of living and loving would not just be a theory or an idea, but that these people on our list would be our our, our uh, sole um, motivating factor, that we would see fruit in these relationships and that we would grow through joy of connection and the joy of love. In Jesus' name, amen.